So earlier this week, uh, my daughter was telling me about how she was telling her friends <clears throat> how often I make these annoying sighs or sounds of exasperation, or, or maybe it's exhaustion or frustration, whatever, whatever it might be. Now, to be fair, when I asked her about this yesterday, she insisted that she said funny sounds rather than annoying sounds. So maybe it's just my own insecurity mm. that heard her saying that they were annoying sounds that I make all the time. Uh, either way, she was telling her friends this, and her friends all said to her, Sophia, you make those sounds all the time too. <laughs> which, which she vehemently denied. Uh, in fact, um, just during the service, every time we were singing, she would lean over to me and say, Dad, is your microphone off? <laughs> this is one of the awesome things about being a parent. Maybe one of the not so awesome things about being a parent is that the things that, that frustrate our kids the most about us tend to be characteristics or qualities that they then inherit from us, right? And as parents, the things that drive us crazy about our kids tend to be those uncomfortable reflections of ourselves, right? We've, so we've been looking at, at the story of, of Jonah the last few weeks and have seen Jonah running away from his enemies in Nineveh, Jonah running away presumably from God, but no matter where he goes or, or what he does, he can't run away from himself. We will see all of us, our own stories and our own struggles in other people. We'll see them in our kids, in our family, in our friends, and, and of course we'll see some of that in our own enemies, which means that despite all of our great attempts to hide and pretend and to be somebody that we're not, there is no amount of running that will save us from having to face the reality of who we are and how our world actually is. So, Jonah in chapter 3 comes face to face now with his enemies in Nineveh and therefore face to face with himself. So the story continues in Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth or ritual clothes that reflect a sense of grief or a desire to change. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made to his city. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be clothed with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands." 
Who knows? Who knows? God may relent or repent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind or God repented of the calamity or the evil that he had said he would bring upon the city, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for a second time, God says, go to Nineveh. But something has changed. In chapter 1, God told Jonah to speak against the people, against this great city. But here, God tells Jonah to speak to them. It's a small change, but there's a big difference between speaking against someone and speaking to someone, right? When you speak against someone, you stand over them in a place of superiority. I am innocent and you are guilty. Jonah begins with this mentality. It's Nineveh who is wicked and evil, not me. It is Nineveh who is violent and greedy, certainly not me. It is Nineveh who needs to change, not me. But then Jonah approaches this city, and this city requires three days to walk across, from one side to the other. Three days set aside for this city to hear God's message and to consider their own actions. Is there anyone else in this story that needed three days to reconsider their actions? If you've been here the last few weeks. Right, Jonah was in the fish for three days, having to reconsider his own actions. So this three-day journey is a hint that maybe he and the people of this city aren't as different as he might imagine. Maybe in Nineveh, Jonah will discover that he and these people do the same annoying things, I mean, the same funny things that they, that they both do. So if we can begin to notice in other people our own struggles and be honest about our own story instead of assuming that it's everyone else's problem, there is room for God's caring and healing presence to turn things around, to turn things around not just for those people, but also for us. So, Jonah's sermon is the kind of sermon that you all want to hear when you come to church. It's like five words or six words. It's super short, although the topic is not actually what you want to hear. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So what, what do we think that that means? Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed? I mean, that's what the people of Nineveh hear. That's what Jonah wants to have happen. And honestly, as long as I've heard this story or read this story, that's what I've thought. And maybe as, as we think about our own sort of inner struggles or our own lives or our own experiences of pain, maybe, maybe this is what we assume will happen too. If anyone found out about what happened to me, or if anyone found out about what I did, then my life would be ruined. If anyone knew, then my life and the world would be overturned. 
So we run and we hide and we pretend because we assume that God's message is usually one of punishment and destruction. That's what we assume. But the Hebrew word here for destruction, havak, has many layers of meaning. It could mean destruction, but it could also be this. In the story of the Exodus, Moses threw his staff down to the ground and it, havak, turned or changed into a snake. The staff wasn't destroyed, it was just changed into something new. Balaam, a prophet, was once paid to place a curse upon Israel, but God, Havak, turned the curse into a blessing. In the book of Esther, we are told that the sorrow of the Jewish people is Havak, turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. God, it seems, is about the business of healing and transforming rather than destroying. And so, as the story goes, from the smallest to the greatest in this city of Nineveh, there is transformation. They are transformed from a violent and evil empire into a culture that puts clothes on its animals. I mean, can you imagine a society that would put clothes on their animals? Anyone? <laughs> if only, if only our, our pet clothing industry could overturn our many industries of war. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? So, this sort of comical image of animals repenting and participating in this liturgical religious practice of, of repentance, yeah, it's meant to be sort of comical, but it's also meant to illustrate the depth of this nation's turning and changing and transformation. So that's great. Unfortunately, Nineveh still has a really big problem. God did not give them a if-then clause. He simply just said, Nineveh will be overturned. And in their minds, that meant Nineveh will be destroyed. So in their minds, the biggest problem is that God is violent and that God is still planning on destroying them in 40 days. I mean, we've seen this throughout human history. We, we often use the gods or God as justification for our own human violence. I mean, if God can be violent against his enemies, then certainly we can too. Maybe we can participate in and do it for God. And no doubt the Assyrians believed that their gods were on their side as they conquered others as the empire at that time and place. And just as Christians believe that God was on our side as we colonized the world, we are children in many ways parroting our parents. We are kids doing what we see God doing in many of our sacred stories. So what we need and, and what Nineveh needs, or at least hopes for, is that God will repent, that God will change, that God will turn from his violent ways. Who knows, the king says, God may relent. Literally, God may repent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we don't perish. They need the warrior God to be transformed into a God of compassion. And again, 
to our great surprise, this is exactly what happens in this strange and comical story. After the people have changed, Jonah 3.10 literally says that God repented, changed his mind, and turned from the violence or the evil that was planned for Nineveh. Our whole image of God is changed. Our understanding of God is transformed by this story. And honestly, this isn't the last time that we will see the divine showing us how to change and how to turn. Jesus himself begins his public ministry with a very similar act of repentance. John the Baptist is in the wilderness crying out, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And the sign of that repentance or that willingness to change for John is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River in Israel. So when Jesus steps forward to be baptized, John is shocked and surprised because it's a baptism of repentance. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. It's an act of turning and changing. And so Jesus, it seems, isn't expecting anyone to do something that God isn't willing to do himself. Now, again, as a parent, but really as just human beings who, you know, sometimes does annoying things, what I see here is that my kids and the people in my life don't really need me to be perfect. They don't need me to never do anything annoying or wrong. What our kids need most is me to be open to learning and to changing and to growing and, and when needed, repenting and, and repairing the relationships that we have. That seems to be more significant than just me never screwing up. I mean, that's what we all need, I'm guessing, right? in all the relationships that we have. Like, we're going we're gonna to get it wrong, but, but it seems like the most important thing is that we're willing to repair. I think that's probably what the world needs, right? And that's what God models for us in the story of Jonah. That's what Jesus shows us how to do in his own baptism. So in our own struggles and in our own attempts at changing and growing is something that we're constantly trying to figure out throughout life. God is on our side as we fail and as we succeed and then as we fail again and again. God is with us in our first attempt and God is with us in our 100th attempt at trying to get it right. God is with us through all of it, offering us grace and compassion rather than punishment and destruction. Now, next week, I don't know how you feel about all of that, but next week we find out whether or not Jonah is a fan of this new and improved version of God that he encounters here in his own story. So, let's pray. God, we pray that you would continue in this season of Lent as we move toward Easter to guide us deeper. Help us to see in other people 
our own humanity, and your presence. Help us to see in our own journey of change and transformation that you are with us through all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.